You can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. This is the section that the Lord and his providence has given us to focus on this morning. And it's got a lot to teach us. A familiar passage, a very simple and straightforward passage, but a very helpful and convicting passage. And I think the Lord will grow us today if we will take heed to it, pay attention to it, learn from it, and grow as we do. So let's read it. Luke chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now what we're seeing here in this passage is the unforgettable failure of the apostle Peter. The unforgettable failure of the Apostle Peter. That's the main point here. Peter's failure. failure, And that's where I, what I've entitled the message. Because that's simply what's going on here. This is Peter's failure. This true disciple of Christ. This chosen apostle. This receiver of divine revelation, this leading learner, will deny his relationship to Christ. He will deny his relationship to the Savior. He will say he doesn't know the Savior. He'll deny being a disciple of the divine Lord. 
he'll leave his beloved leader. He'll disown the one who has clearly displayed that he is the Christ. And he will do this by distancing himself, by asserting and reasserting lies. He'll make false, uh, a false oath before the Lord. He'll suppress any feelings of guilt or remorse. He'll be so self-centered that he'll fail to care for the Lord that he loves and allow him to stand alone. And this is all happening in this disciple's life. It's true disciple, chosen apostle, receiver of divine revelation, leading learner. He's the leader among the disciples. Throughout his discipleship journey with Jesus, Peter, like really the rest of the disciples, have fluctuated between moments of faithfulness and moments of failure. They've had moments of great, deep understanding, and they've had moments of dullness. They've missed the point a time or two. They have exercised great faith, and they have shown evidence of great fear. They have heard Jesus's commendation, and they've heard Jesus' rebuke and condemnation. They've had moments where they were used greatly, and they've had moments of great uselessness. But this moment here, more than any other in the Apostle Peter's life, shows his great weakness his great immaturity, and his great sin. You see, in this section, Peter is exposed. The, tr the, the reality of where his faith is at, his level of maturity, his commitment to Christ, his so-called love for the Lord, as many times as he asserts that to others or portrays that to others, here... The Apostle Peter, Apostle Peter is, he's exposed. And his faith is still mingled with his flesh. And I wonder, I wonder what it would look like if you were exposed. If the reality of your faith was made clear. If your faith would really be mixed with a whole lot of your flesh still. You see, when we see this happen in Peter's life here, we see pride. We see self-centeredness. We see a lack of devotion. We see a flimsy commitment we see a fragile faith. 
when Peter is tested, when Peter is threatened, when Peter is sifted by Satan, you remember Satan aimed to prove that the apostle Peter's faith was fake. Jesus said he was going to sift him like wheat. That means he was going to shake his faith so violently that we're going to see if it's like chaff that blows away or if it's the real, real deal. Now, when this happens, through the threat of suffering, Peter will be devastated by what he still finds in his own heart. By what's exposed about him, the immature nature of his love for Christ. He's not going to turn away permanently. Christ is going to keep him. That's his promise as he's a true believer. But the reality and immaturity of his faith is going to be revealed. And so before we begin this, I, I wonder if your faith was tested, what would be revealed about you? What would be exposed about you? I wonder what it would take for you to deny Christ. For you to conveniently ignore what you've learned from his word. Or for you to reject his counsel. Or for you to lie and pile up lies and continue to make oaths only to serve yourself. I wonder what it would take for you to reject the Lord you love. I think there are areas in which Christians today do this very practically. I think the three most significant areas are in their service within the church, in their giving, and in their evangelism. I think they practically deny Christ. They may assert their love for him on a regular basis to everyone around them, but they conveniently ignore Christ's words to serve the body, to give for the ministry of the church. And this has nothing to do with what Mike said. This is just the way in which we see Christians deny the truth of God's word. So in that way, it, it does relate. But this is just a way in which practically Christians deny Christ. They might say and affirm they love him, and then they, their life is about themselves. The third way is evangelism. There are Christians that go about their whole lives never evangelizing a lost person. And they don't do it regularly, even if they have done it before. I bring these three aspects up because you might say, I'll never deny Christ. If someone put a, a gun to my head, I wouldn't deny Christ. Okay, but let's talk about how you're regularly denying Christ in your disobedience to his word. Service. There are Christians who 
are members of the church. And I'm talking about the church at large all over the world who never serve the body in any area, who don't have a place of service within the church that they use their gifts. I mean, that's all over the New Testament. You'd have to ignore the, the entire New Testament to not do that. Giving to where they live their lives for the next vacation. And all the ministry that they expect from the church, they expect it to come from others. And you see the word and you see what it says and you ignore it. Evangelism. You say, well, I, I just don't know who I would share with. Well, do you know anybody in your life who doesn't know Christ? The church is called for their primary mission to evangelize. To tell lost people about the gospel of Christ. Why? Because God's glory should be spread throughout all the nations, all the world. And so there's just practical ways in which we deny Christ on a regular basis. We see what his word says. We hear the preaching of the word. We hear other church leaders help us. We, those who disciple us, encourage us in the word. And yet we ignore the word. We reject it to serve our own selves. We practically deny Christ regularly. And so I wonder in what ways you're doing that. I would encourage you to, to repent and to follow closely the Lord you love, to trust him, to obey him. And so the Lord here will be denied by his disciple. And this will be Peter's most memorable moment of weakness. And again, I wonder what it would take for us to deny Christ. And if you say, I never would, I wonder how you're doing that currently. And I pray, I pray, and I have been praying for our church that we would be a people who don't deny Christ in our lives, that you would never fall away permanently, of course, but that there wouldn't be any temptation that would make you turn away from him temporarily. And that even now in your lives, you wouldn't be denying him by your ignorance or your disobedience to the word. So let's look at the apostle Peter's failure. This is pretty simple and straightforward. And the tone is, is somber. You have to understand the tone here is is not jubilant, as you would expect. The tone here is very sorrowful and pointed. So what we're going to see in this, in Peter's failures, we're going to see really two points, two sections here. First is Peter's sin in verses 54 through 60. And then we're going to see Peter's sorrow 
in verses 60 through 62. 54 through 60a, Peter's sin. And then secondly, what we're going to see is Peter's sorrow in 60b through 60-62. So let's start here with Peter's sin. Verses 54 through 60. Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, woman, I do not know you, or I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. And after an interval, about an hour still, another insisted, saying, certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. Now, as we begin this section, uh, I want to note a few things here. First is that it's clear that as we come out of the garden into Jesus being tried, and what I mean by tried is we're going to f- see here his unofficial official trials. And God, the Holy Spirit, here in this section through Luke, and we're coming out of the garden, we're going to see Jesus' trials, and before we get into them, the Holy Spirit, through Luke here, is focusing entirely on the Apostle Peter. This whole section is about him. He's the focus of this portion of Scripture. And so at the end of, of this garden scene... At the end of the betrayal and the arrest, we're focusing entirely on Peter. Now, Matthew and Mark's account in Matthew 26 and Mark 14, they tell us that Jesus, when he was arrested, all of his disciples fled. They all left him. And then earlier in Matthew's account, Jesus said that that would happen. So Jesus predicted and said that all of the disciples, as he's arrested, would flee, would leave him. And in the upper room, when Jesus predicted Peter's denial, Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me on this night. For it is written, and then he quotes from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7, the shepherd and the sheep of the, uh, uh, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So Jesus makes clear that they won't fall away permanently. He says, after I'm risen, I'll go to Galilee. And that's where we'll meet. So they're going to return to the Lord after the resurrection. But what Jesus is making clear there and what we see is that after the arrest and the betrayal, all the disciples will scatter. And Peter says, though all will fall away, I will not. Right? To which Jesus predicts Peter's failure in in detail. 
And so all the disciples even say, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you, right? Now, all that to say this, that in this particular section of Luke, the Holy Spirit is giving us an an account that what Jesus predicted is true. All his disciples will leave him in this moment. So Jesus is not only experiencing suffering because of the arrest, the scourging, the rejection of the leaders, he is abandoned by all of his disciples. And here we see most notably Peter. So in other words, Luke's making clear Jesus's suffering here includes the scattering and the denial by and the, the rejection by his own disciples. Jesus, along this journey to the cross, is being even shown to be rejected by his own, his own followers. We're, Luke is making this clear. Secondly, I think we have to note this before we start. I've already mentioned it, but this denial is predicted. This denial is predicted by Christ. And so all four gospel writers record Christ's prediction of this denial. All four of them. It's specific, which once again is showing this. Listen now, listen. It's showing this, that Christ is in complete control throughout this entire journey to the cross. He's in complete control. He predicts this denial of Peter from the beginning. He's in complete control of all the events in the cross. There is a point being made here that though he's captured, though he's killed, Christ knows everything that will take place. He's not surprised by any of it. He's in complete control. He's going willingly. He's not overpowered. He's not surprised. He's not taken apart from his will. Luke is stressing to us this point. By the prediction that Peter will deny Christ, by Christ himself, and now this fulfillment of Peter denying Christ shows Christ knew exactly what would happen. He's not taken by surprise. He's not overpowered. He's not, he, he's not going as a helpless victim. He's in complete control. He knows what's going to happen, and he's going willingly. So he's the sovereign Lord who is saving sinners. But thirdly, what we have to note before we start here is Peter's overconfidence. I've already mentioned this in my reading, but listen now. Peter was proud. He overestimated his spiritual strength. In Matthew 16, Peter asserts that he won't let anything happen to Jesus. Remember that? In the upper room, Peter said he'll never fall away. He said then again he would die with Christ. And maybe he's even still expecting that Jesus' kingdom is an earthly kingdom against the enemy, which is the Roman oppressors, and that Jesus is going to set up an earthly kingdom. And then when Jesus is arrested, it demoralizes Peter's expectations, leaves him in doubt and confusion and despondency, which no doubt contributed to Peter's denial here. But in the garden, here's how confident uh, Peter was. Um, Jesus said, you need to pray so you don't fall into temptation. And Peter thought, 
he knew better and said, I don't really need to do that. I'll just sleep. In the garden, there's people who arrested Jesus and Peter was so overconfident that he took his little dagger out and cut off an ear. Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. And that's exactly what would happen in the apostle Peter's life. And so we're going to look at this, but that's the third thing to note is Peter's overconfidence. And once again, he asserts his great devotion, but it didn't take much for him to deny Christ. And that's why I asked you, I said, what is it, what would it take for you to deny him? Even though you assert your devotion or how practically are you denying him now? If you assert your devotion so strongly we should take honest assessments of our lives by seeing this example of the Apostle Peter. So let's read this and let's look at it. Pretty straightforward, but we learn a lot here. Verse 54 it says, Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house, and Peter was following at a distance. So they come out of the garden and they're bringing Jesus to the high priest's house. Um, what would take place and transpire over a several hour period. Remember, they're coming out of the garden sometime around midnight, and this is going to last until the sun rises, until daybreak. We, we, that's clear. We don't have to guess about that. That is made clear from the text, and you'll see that. But this, this is when this is happening. Midnight, the end of day Thursday, till daybreak Friday, which is when Friday would technically start. So this is really still Thursday. And what would take place would include these three denials. So we have these trials that are taking place. And then intermixed in all of this is Peter's three denials. And Luke puts all these denials immediately together. You got one, then you got the second, then you got the third. But that's not how it functions here. If you look at the parallel passages, Luke is just condensing here. Really, Jesus is tried all night and Peter's denials are intermixed in that period of time, which really, it really makes Peter's denials even worse because he had time to realize what he did, repent, be remorseful. And so Jesus, at this point in Luke chapter 22, verse 54, what I just read Jesus was taken to the first house of Annas. Annas. Now, he's not technically the high priest, but let's just turn in your Bibles because I'm going to take you to some of these parallel accounts. We're going to make Peter's sin here very clear, and we've got to do it through seeing some of these details, okay? So turn in your Bibles to John chapter 18. That's the parallel account in John's gospel. And just keep your finger in Luke, but turn there. And look at verse 13. It makes it pretty clear to us. It says, first, they led him to who? Annas. Now, Annas was not technically the high priest, though he still functioned in that way. He was the former high priest. His father-in-law, uh, I mean, he is the father-in-law of who? Caiaphas, who was the current high priest. 
So Annas was still the power behind the scene, the father-in-law who didn't let go of the reins. And John tells us he was taken there first. Jesus was. And he was taken there, as we see in the parallel accounts, by a band of soldiers, by their captain, by the officers of the Jews. Mark tells us by elders and scribes. They're all there. They're taking Jesus after they arrest him in the garden to Annas' house. And at Annas' house, jump to verse 18 and verse, I'm sorry, verse 19, the high priest then questioned Jesus and the disciples about his teaching, uh, uh, questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. So at Annas' house, what would happen is Annas would question Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. That's just pretty clear. So Jesus is at Annas' house. He's being questioned about his disciples, about his teaching. And you have to understand that these trials are illegal. They're fake. What's happening, there's nothing against Jesus warranting an arrest or a, or a death. In addition to that, the Jewish law required that Jesus be tried or anybody be tried, not just Jesus, during the day. That was very clear. So here's what's happening at this point. An attempt is being made in the middle of the night to uh, avoiding the crowds. Jerusalem at this point is sleeping to get Jesus to indict himself so that when day comes after they had illegally arrived at a verdict by him indicting himself through some blasphemous statement that they're going to trap him and trick him into, that when day comes, then they would bring him to the Sanhedrin and formalize the accusations against him. And so this is illegal. This is manipulative. This is trickery. And this is all happening in the middle of the night. So when day comes, they could bring these formal charges against him and give some account. And so Jesus would be, would be struck. They would be hitting Jesus. Look at even verses uh, 22 through 23 in John. It says, when, they, when he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand saying, is that how you answer the high priest? And so they were going to do whatever they needed to do to get Jesus to commit some kind of crime against the leadership so that they could indict him officially when daybreak came. And they're trying to entice Jesus to respond. So stage two of this trial, listen now, stage two, Jesus would be led across the courtyard to Caiaphas's house. Look at verse 24. Look at verse 24 here. Annas then sent him bound to who? Caiaphas, the high priest. That's stage two of the trials. So Jesus is taken from the garden to Annas' house. He's questioned about his teaching and about his disciples. They're trying to get him to sin. Step two, then they lead him to the official high priest's house, Caiaphas. And uh, flip, I want you to flip now to Mark's account, Mark chapter 14. Keep your finger in Luke and just turn to Mark's account. Mark chapter 14. Verse 53. And here's what's happening. 
And you can see all this, what's happening in, uh, in this illegal trial. You can get the point here. You ready? Verse 53, I'm gonna read down to 65. Then they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. See, we know that they're there because Mark tells us this. Verse 54, and Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself. Verse 55, now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. So they're lying about Jesus, bearing false witness against him, and they can't even get their testimonies about Jesus to agree. Their lies are contradicting each other, right? And verse 57, some stood up and bore false witness against him. So if they can't indict him, they'll just lie to figure out how. Verse 58, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple and this is made with hands and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst of Jesus and asked, have you no answer to make? Jesus probably at that point saying about what? You guys can't even agree here. What is that that, uh, that these men testify, uh, uh, testify against you? Verse 61, but he remained silent, made no answer. And again, the high priest asked him, are you the Christ, the son of, of the blessed? Blessed, and Jesus said, I am. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, what further witnesses do we need? And you have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving of death. Some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying to him, prophesy. And the guards received him with blows. And so at this point, they just, they came up with something. They found something to indict him with, and they would take him to, to the Sanhedrin for the official verdict in the morning. And so Peter is in the courtyard when this is happening. And there, you have to understand, these houses of the leading men were were in, in a square. They all sat together. And, um, and Peter would be in that square, in the middle of these, of these houses. Before you flip away from Mark, if you already did, um, you can turn back there or you can just listen. But what we see is in Mark 15, 1, the third stage of this trial. Verse 15, verse 1. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. That's the Sanhedrin. All the leading men from the different religious factions in Israel would make up the Sanhedrin. And they would make this decision, verse 15, 1, when it was what? Morning. Stage three. Final official verdict. When daybreak came, they would, bring him, they would bring him to the Sanhedrin. They would get the official verdict. The leading men among various religious groups would be there. And after this would happen, they would bring him to Pilate. That's really stage four. And they would bring him to Pilate, who was the Roman governor, who was in Jerusalem at this time because of the Passover to approve this. And so they had not fairly or objectively looked at the evidence 
of Jesus and determined a verdict, they had manufactured charges to convince Rome to execute him because they wanted him to die. Even along the way, the high priest tearing the clothes, which was a breaking of the Jewish law himself, Leviticus 21 states, the high priest wasn't allowed to do that. I mean, they're breaking their own laws to kill Christ. This is clearly illegal. Their motives are wrong. This is not, these are not official fair trials, and yet they're going to get the verdict that they want. And in Matthew 26, verses 63 through 68, we see that the determination is that he deserves death. Now, go back to Luke. Peter's denial, listen, listen, is interwoven in all of this. And so this whole ordeal is interwoven between this whole process. We get to Peter here in Luke 22. And really, the fact that this is interwoven is made clear in John's gospel. If you want to spend some time there, you can see, oh, this isn't consecutive. This is interwoven between all of this. Let's read verse 54 again. Luke 22, then they seized him, led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. We just talked about how all that would work. And Peter was following at a distance. And so verse 54, we see, listen, listen now. Fear is already beginning to set in, in the apostle's life. He's following at a distance. Luke tells us this detail on purpose. This is, this, is, this is important for us to realize this. this is, it's already setting in. His association with Christ, he's beginning to deny it. John tells us at this point, listen, that there's another disciple with Peter. And we understand from John's account, I won't take you back there now, but that it's probably John because of the way John talks about himself. He always says, the other disciple, right? Or the disciple whom Jesus loved, all right? He made sure to make that point. But John 18 gives us insight into what happens here. G Peter here is, and it's very clear, you can see it yourself. But for the sake of time, I'll tell you that J Peter here is with John at this point, following at a distance. And... It says that John knew the high priest, or the high priest knew of John. And so when they get to the courtyard, to the gate where the high priest's houses were, not everybody was let in. Remember, this was, a per this was perfect timing. Middle of the night, everyone in Jerusalem sleeping. There's a gate entrance into the courtyard of the high priest, the high priest's house. No one else is going to know what's going on here. We can indict Jesus secretively. You have to be let in. And it says that this other disciple, who we presume is John, knew or was known by the high priest. And so Peter had to stand outside at the door when he was following at a distance at this point of the courtyard. But since John knew this high priest and the servant girl who kept watch at the gate of the door, it says very clearly he went and spoke to the servant girl to let Peter in. And so then Peter was allowed to come into the courtyard. And so this was how it was all working. Peter's allowed in. 
And then verse 55 says, when they had kindled the fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. They kindled the fire. John tells us that it's a charcoal fire. And they're warming themselves. And Peter's there too. Verse 56. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, this man also was with him. And so John tells us that this is the same girl at the gate that was at the gate. So the girl lets them in. Then as they go into the middle of the courtyard to sit by the fire and start warming themselves, the girl's looking at him probably in the flickering light and says, I recognize that man. He, he was the one who was with Jesus. And this man was also with him. And John says, John's account says the girl said, you're one of that man's disciples. You're a a follower of Christ. And then we get to this first denial, verse 57. But he denied it. Saying, woman, I do not know him. He says, I don't know him. And in the other accounts, it says here that Peter says, I I don't know or understand what you mean. And Peter here, in his flesh, in his fear, is lying. Clearly lying. All of his confidence and his assertion of his loyalty and devotion to Christ. When tested, is crushed. It means nothing, meant nothing. He was able to assert all of this until it was tested. Until it was tested. And this is not at the hands of guards. You have to understand this. This is at the hands of a servant girl. It didn't take much for Peter to deny Christ. It didn't take much. And I tell you, the verdict of your life will be determined by whether or not you stay with Christ to the end. I think because of things like the sinner's prayer or things of that sort, we have filled up churches with false converts who assert their love for Christ. And yet the verdict about whether your faith is real or not will be shown when it's tested. Whether or not you remain with Christ, continue to follow Christ. And in so many ways, really even those who are true believers in Christ, as I said in the beginning, it only takes a little bit of of sacrifice to be required of you for you to practically deny Christ to disobey his word because it's not exactly how you want things to go because it's going to require sacrifice of your life. Then it doesn't take much for you to 
conveniently ignore what you see in God's word. And this is so common, this denial of Christ when tested. He's being sifted by Satan here. He's being intimidated by the world. He's being threatened by consequence. And all it took for him to be shaken, for his faith, his devotion, his love, his commitment, his obedience to Christ was this little servant girl. And I wonder what it takes for you. I mean, is it your job? The job requires such and such, and so I'm gonna conveniently ignore what the word says because of that. Is it your money, your vacations? Is it a 12 o'clock game on a Sunday? Is it that someone will, someone hurts your pride? Is that you have worldly friends? Is it that you don't just really wanna serve? You don't really wanna give? You don't really wanna evangelize? You don't really wanna obey? You don't really wanna give up this sin? You don't really wanna come every Sunday to church? You don't really wanna grow in your faith? You don't really wanna read your Bible? What does it take? And Peter was not prayerful. We've already learned that. He was overconfident. He was self-centered. He really loved Christ. But man, he did not prepare for this moment. And it's made clear here. Verse 58 We see, and a little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. But Peter said, man, I am not. Second, denial. At this point, Peter got up. John makes that clear. It says that Peter got up and went to the gateway before this second denial. Listen now, listen. He went up, he got up after the first denial and he went to the gateway. That's what John tells us. And then it says after that, after this denial, the rooster crowed once. Now you say, um, I don't understand that. Well, Mark 14 tells us specifics. And when you wanna know how does this thing work and you're looking at these parallel accounts of the gospel, at each moment you look at the one that's most specific. That'll help you get the details right, right? Right? And then you put all those specifics together. But Mark tells us, Mark 14, Jesus predicted Peter's denial. He said, you're gonna deny me three times before the rooster crows twice. And so this is the first crow. And I think that's significant because even after this second denial, the rooster crows and Peter just doesn't even hear it. He misses it. He's so anxious, he's so fearful that sin is deafening in his his ears. If he would have heard it, maybe he would have remembered and at this point repented. But he doesn't even hear it. And so at this point, Mark tells us that there's the second denial here. How how does this work here? We, We just read this in verse 58. Well, here in Luke's account, it says that someone else came in verse 58. In Mark's account, it says that uh, 
it was the same servant girl. In John's account, it says just they. In Matthew's account, it says there's another servant girl. And so what I think is happening at this point is that there are people coming now from every different direction. All different types of people are coming. Another servant girl, the same servant girl, a group of people, and and another person is coming, and they once again say, hey, Peter, you're, you're a follower of Christ, aren't you? And Matthew tells us that at this point, Peter makes an oath. He makes an oath. And he says, I'm not. He, he makes an oath. And so verse 59 tells us that even after an interval, about an hour, still another insisted. And so Peter now has lied twice. He's denied the Lord twice. And he's now taken his lie up a level. He's made an oath. And there's now an interval about an hour, enough time to repent, to reflect, enough time to crush his spirit for him to return, to surrender. And yet we see another failure. And so the other accounts tell us here that they said, you're a Galilean and, and, um, and they, they talked to, to Peter about being a Galilean and I'll tell you why. But verse 59 here, it says, after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, this is the third here, that said, certainly this man also was with him for he too, see this here is a Galilean. Verse 60, but Peter said, man, I do not know what you're talking about. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And so there's this other denial where they say he's a Galilean. Matthew and Mark tell us that they can, they can tell that he's a Galilean by his accent. John tells us that the one who, who spoke of John tells us the one who spoke to him here was Malchus, was Malchus, who, I'm sorry, a relative of Malchus. Remember who Malchus was? The servant that Peter, whose ear Peter cut off. Remember this? Well, now his relative here is coming to Peter and saying, I saw you in the garden with him. So Peter cut off his cousin's ear, Right? And now he's coming here and speaking this to Peter. And here's what Peter says, verse 60. Peter said, man, I do not know what you are talking about. And when he says this, let me tell you, this time even more assertive and emphatic. And how we know is that in Matthew's account, listen now, listen close. Peter here, look at how far Peter goes in such a short amount of time. Peter here, he invokes a curse on himself. In Matthew's account, it says, Basically, God judge me if I'm lying about this. And so this one steadfast disciple, this one who was so confident in his commitment to Christ, this one who asserted his loyalty to Christ, this one who said he would stand for Christ, this one who actually truly loved Christ, 
When temptation, trial, testing came, his life would turn into a whirlwind of lies, denials, curses, and sin. And I I just got to tell you, you have to prepare for this. And testing will come into your life. And it will overcome you quickly. Number two here, we're going to see the result. Peter's sorrow. Verse 60b through 62. And immediately while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. And so Mark 14 tells us the rooster crowed the second time. And John places this around the time in which Jesus is being transported either from Annas' house to Caiaphas' house, maybe from Caiaphas' house to the Sanhedrin, maybe from the Sanhedrin to Pilate. But Jesus is being transported at this point. There's, a two, there's two stories to these buildings, and then there's the courtyard. And, and so in the Lord's control and his sovereignty and his providence, as Peter is denying Jesus this third time, the rooster crows the second time. Jesus knew exactly what was going to happen. He knew all the details of it. And the Lord is being led at this exact time somewhere. And when that happens, Jesus may be on the top floor walking along the balcony. Peter's sitting in the courtyard. He had gone to two places in the courtyard. He had sat by this first fire. Then he left and went and sat by another fire, denied him the second time, and then denied him the third time. As he denies him the third time, the Lord is walking somewhere, and he looks at Peter. I mean, this is the Lord's providence at this exact time. The rooster crows, and the Lord looks at Peter. And all it took was one look from the Lord. And Peter's ears open. He hears the rooster crow. He remembers the Lord's words and it really hits him what he had done. And can I just tell you, this is how sin works. It just deafens you. You don't hear it. You've once asserted your commitment to the Lord and you're so confident in it. And then it overpowers you and you've been prayerless. You've not taken heed to the Lord's rebuke as Peter had not. You had not followed him closely. You had not been committed to him. And then all of a sudden you remember the truth of the word and it hits you the reality of your sin and the consequences that you're about to face because of them. That's how sin works. And the rest of your life has changed because of it. His prayerlessness, his overconfidence, his impulsiveness, his distance, all led to this moment where when he's faced with intimidation from the world and the threat of suffering, he abandons Christ, compiles sin, repeats sin, and is threatened by a little girl and makes him fall away. He wasn't prepared for this. And Mark tells us at this moment, he remembers the Lord. He remembers what the Lord said. He remembers that the Lord said when the rooster crows twice. And uh, Jesus said this was all gonna happen before the sun went down. So let me just tell you this. Peter went from this overconfident man to to this denier in less than a day. And so that's how quickly 
you can spiral into sin. And so, verse 62, and he went out and he wept bitterly. He's devastated by the results of his sin. He breaks down and he understands the consequences. Now, I think this is a warning to all of us. And I think it beckons the question what it would take for us to deny Christ or how we're practically doing so now. But I want to encourage you that there is hope that in the end of this, this failure for Peter would be temporary. Peter will prove to be a true disciple and Jesus' promise in the upper room that he would keep him will stay true. Remember Jesus, remember Jesus spoke of this intercessory work on Peter's behalf and Jesus is gonna keep that. And so remember Jesus, when he finds Peter after the resurrection, after, uh, after he's appeared to them, um, Jesus, Peter's doing what Jesus commanded him to do. He says, when you turn again, when you turn back again, strengthen the brothers. And Peter will turn back again. Remember that Peter will be restored by Christ. Peter, um, he'll jump in the water when he sees Christ coming along the, the shore of the sea. And uh, Christ will, in his compassion, restore Peter. He'll give him three opportunities corresponding to his three denials to reassert his love and devotion to him. They can find that in John chapter 21. And by the way, that's around another charcoal fire. And, um, and so if you imagine Peter, just the smell and the sound of this charcoal fire when he's reasserting his love for Christ and yet at the same time remembering his, his failure but he's gonna tell Peter that he's gonna express his loyalty to him through preaching the word of God. And so Peter's gonna learn from his failure. So my encouragement to you as we close here, as we see Peter's great denials, is that we must take heed. We must be prayerful as the Lord committed to Peter. We must follow closely. We must not be overconfident, but rely on the Lord's strength Understand that in a moment, all our asserting of our devotion to Christ can change and we can turn to sin. So we need to depend on the Lord. And to ask the question, in what ways are you practically denying Christ now? And I pray that you wouldn't fall away when tested. And we'd learn from Peter's example here. Let's pray. Father, we come and we ask, Lord, that you would help us. Help us, Lord, to be faithful to you. Help us, Lord, to be people who remain devoted to you, who follow you closely, who are prayerful, who commit to you, who don't turn away from you. We need your help in this, Lord, and we ask that you would instruct us here as we learn from Peter's failure, that we would remain faithful to you. We need you, Lord, and I pray for our church that you'd help us 
to not just assert our devotion to you and then deny you when when we're threatened in any way or when we want to get what we want. But help us to display our commitment through our obedience to you. In Jesus' name, amen.